I used to like South Park. It was a good show. Still is a good it's show. Still a good show, yeah. Is it still going? Yeah, yeah. They've just got Getting a lot better. more. They got a lot more um, topical after a while. They stopped being all about just crude humor, and now it's more a lot more political. I remember the ginger episode. I enjoyed that. <laughs> Not that I'm ginger. They redid. They kind of redid that theme for episode three hundred. I think. I think it was three hundred. Kind of, yeah, they, they did like a callback to every single guest star they've ever had. I mm-hmm. say guest star, in quotes. It's a good episode. Uh, two episodes, I think. It was Eric Cartman's dad. That was like the premise of the episode. It's, it's oh, re- that one? That one. That's the callback episode. Right. Yeah, that was ages ago. Yeah, well, it was episode 300, I think. Yeah. Sweet. Forget how long it's been going for. Uh, 20. Yeah. 28 years, I want to say. Maybe longer. Was not, it not Was it 1990? Years. When was so no Frosty versus Santa, which was the original oh, that's old, video, yeah. I think is nineteen eighty something. Frosty versus Santa versus Jesus is like nineteen ninety two, and then I think the crate the first like uh, crate paper South Park episode is nineteen ninety four. Right. I remember asking Mum if we could watch it. She said absolutely not. So we asked Dad, and he was like, "Yeah, sure." It's just, I mean, it's kind of crude humor. It's not. I don't think it's terrible. I the early so. ones were were very much more childish. Yeah, they didn't have like I don't know. I knew there was a couple of well, there was a couple of kids in my school that watched it, and they were very thrilled about the fact that they watched it. Yeah, in that sort of childhood way. Yeah, but you got, you came from like a private school, didn't you? Everyone else had got the butlers to tell them about it. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Never miss a private school opportunity. That Jeeves <laughs> summarised last night's episode. Certainly, young Adam, but my name is not Jeeves. <laughs> Shut up, Jeeves. You'll be whoever I want you to be. Hello and welcome to Money for Old Rope, a podcast ostensibly about idioms. This week hosted by three of your favourite people, Ben, Sam and Adam. Ben, what's your idiom? Uh, don't poke the bear. Sam, what's your idiom? Wet your whistle. My, my idiom this week is flash in the pan. Alright. So let's start with mine this week. I went first last week, that makes sense. Flash in the pan. What does flash in the pan mean, either of you? I'll let, I'll let Sam field this one first. And then shoot down whatever his suggestion is, unless I agree with it. Are we just going for saying first? Like, what it means. What, what the means. Yeah, yeah. When, yeah, when would you cool. use flash in the pan? Just, just like every week then. Um, yeah, sure. Um, flash in the pan, sort of a quick sort of fad almost. Like it's a flash in the pan, so it's just something that arrived quickly and then left just as quickly, I think. What, like so it's just like a temporary, I think fad is the way. Fad's a, the word. Fad in, a, use. Okay, fad. in a good way. Like, uh, not necessarily. People usually meet. People use it fairly negatively, but it's not negative by design. I think it's just you never use describing a good thing as something that only happened for a very short amount of time and then left again. True. Vuvuzelas, they were like a flash in the pan. Yeah, I imagine they're still fairly popular in wherever they were from originally. Can't remember where that was. Was it Venezuela? (laughs) No, it wasn't. (laughs) It wasn't the Vuvuzela from Venezuela, (laughs) no. (laughs) That's really disappointing to me. I agree. In what... There's the Vuvuzela hero video because Guitar Hero was big at the time. Oh, God. And it just shows the football match and it does the sort of like, like the pickup that it does at the start of Guitar Hero. Yeah. And then like the bar starts progressing <laughs> forwards and then just all five colours appear and it goes <laughs> for, eight, for three minutes. <laughs> it's such an annoying sound as well. Um, so yeah, you're right. Flash in the Pan is sort of like a, a, a temporary thing. Um, the example I've got is Chris Evans on Top Gear. So oh. he was a flash in the pan because he existed for a season. Nobody really liked him, and then he was kicked off. A season might be a bit... I don't know. It depends if you're looking at the grand scheme of everything. 
I think Flash, I don't know, Flash in the Pan seems a bit shorter term than that to me. Having any hope for new Top Gear was more of a Flash in the Pan. Because that was like murdered immediately. So where do you think it comes from then, with that in mind? What do you think you're throwing into the pan when you say so Flash you think in the pan? pan? Yeah, pan. <laughs> flash in the pan. Is that not the saying? That is a saying, yes. Flash ah. in the pan. So, like, so it's obvious, isn't it? It's knickers in the pan. Knickers in the pan. Because when you flash, what are you doing? Flashing. So it comes from, you know, you know when you think about knickers and you think about massive knickers. Okay. Okay. Like the kind of ones that Mickey Mouse... Knickers might be a very British term. Uh, Pantaloons. (laughs) Undergarments. Uh, Underpants. I'm trying to think of more British terms to... Cool. All right. So I reckon it came from the 1960s where free love was everywhere. uh, And flashing the pan was the idea that you'd go to a festival... And what you do is you'd set up a fan, a pan cooking some sausages and then you'd throw your knickers in there. And it was a bit like keys in a bowl at swinger parties. And then you'd see which knickers burn the quickest. And those two people would go off and uh, do the do the new age thing. And the sausages are ruined at this point because you've just loaded knickers on top of them. Yeah. Right. I think a lot of people in the 60s were vegetarian, though, so they weren't bothered about that. That was more there for the fat. <laughs> and vegetarians <laughs> love just cooking meat for no reason. Yeah. So Ben reckons knickers in a pan at a festival in Sweet. the 60s. Sam reckons what? Uh, muskets, I think. Gunpowder. And the pan was the bit that you put the gunpowder in in a musket and the flint head comes down and like... Hits it and there's a flash in the pan. Or a mortar. I think it's something to do with armaments of some kind. But we all know what pans are. They're a cooking implement in the kitchen. (laughs) That is true, Sam. He has got you there. They are a cooking implement. What about panning for gold? That was used. So what they did there was they'd get the pans of their forebears who had cooked breakfast. (laughs) And it was just a frying pan. Okay. True fact. Pan pipes are are just frying pans rolled up. But they were quite malleable, so you could unroll them for the evening fry-up. About Pan, the mythical goat being? Uh, made from... <laughs> it's a satyr, isn't it? Surprisingly made from a fawn, eight, I think. eight or nine cats. Eight or nine together. cats. Cool. Yeah, I forgot about that. So, okay, knickers in a pan in a festival in the 60s and a... Some kind of gunpowdery thing. Gunpowdery, musket-y thing. Cool. I've got three options for you. It's number two. Some of which you may find familiar. <laughs> Come on, knickers. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. I'd be shocked if Adam came up with the same things you did. Yeah, that'd be Just awesome. Just operate on different levels. Does it come from the Californian gold rush, during which the gold family walked across America? Prospectors panning for gold would occasionally flash, uh, spot flashes in their pan, which they would momentarily believe to be gold until usually being disappointed because it was pyrite or whatever the other um, fake gold is. Yep. That's um, a lot more kind of reasonable than mine. <laughs> Number two. Does it come from flintlock muskets? that had small pans in which gunpowder was held, and when one was fired but no bullet was loaded, you get the explosion without a payoff. Hence, a flash in the pan. Or three, does it come from cooking the sole, or sole fish, a type of fish... Sole. Sole! <laughs> Dover sole, please. <laughs> a type of fish found off, the coast of, found off the coast of Dover. When cooked, it's supposed to be ready to eat when the meat starts to let off small flashes, which is caused by the phosphorescence oil secreted by the animal. So is it one, panning for gold, two, flintlock muskets, or three, soleil fish? Three, a fish, which is like a mini firework display. I know what I'm going for. <laughs> mini firework fish all the way. Not number two. 
I want to go for number two. I'm gonna. Well, I'll go for two, and you can no. go for the fish. Okay, firework fish. <laughs> so you're firework fish, and you're flintlock muskets. Yeah. Cool. Um, a lot of people think it's panning for gold, but it's not. Yes. It does seem to be flintlock muskets. Sorry, it's not firework fish. Did um, you make that up? Maybe it'll be firework fish next time. Yeah, of course I did. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just more signs that Adam's never cooked a fish. I know. Yeah. Well, I like the fact that he he looked into. Oh, that's how you cook thrice cooked chips. Time to make a sandwich. <laughs> Delicious, delicious sandwich. <laughs> In reflections on several of Mr. Dryden's plays, 1687, the following is noted. If cannons were, well, were so well-bred in his metaphor as to only flash in the pan, I dare lay an even wager that Mr. Dryden does venture to see. That's the first example of it coming God, up. There's so bad books in the past, <laughs> aren't they? Like, Christ, no wonder people hate reading. Like, that's, what, that's what people get like introduced to at school. Yeah, I know. Reading... Um, the mayor of Canterbridge or whatever. Like that's, yeah. Oh, I can't remember its name. Thomas Hardy. It was horrible. It was a terrible book. You get Just like, and lo, the price of wheat per sheaf was, and then it had gone about that, and then it said, but in the next village, mm. mayor of Wessex. Wessex is where it's set. We kind of have, we have this terrible inclination to want to teach people the classics before actually teaching them about good literature to start with. <laughs> yeah. If you just introduce them with, only saying this because I'm reading it at the moment, but like a Brandon Sanderson book, mm. but one of the maybe one of the YA ones or one of the like less just fanciful, a good book. yeah, That's all they a need good to. book that isn't The Merchant of Venice. All right, fair enough, a play, not Frankenstein, not Dracula, not any of the basic classic books that are all on the syllabus, and the teachers basically just pick their favorites, which is how they try and trick you into it. They're like, Oh, Dracula is a vampire, it's Dracula's not like, so yeah. boring. It's like Frankenstein, Frankenstein is one long letter, it's just a big essay about human morality anyway right like yeah most of them are i thought frankenstein would be entertaining but it's just not an entertaining book in the slightest yeah um she's great she's she's a fine writer like it's yeah. it's very easy to read and i can see why it was as popular as it was but it doesn't hold up to a modern audience which is why i think you should introduce kids to something that's published in the last 10 years instead of the last 100 yep. years um but that's my rant about the syllabus on english so yeah 1687 was the earliest example that i could find can be applied it's usually these days applied to people so you hear it quite a lot applied to yep. um, people or bands or people in public image, like Amber Rudd, topical, was a flash in the pan. Um, I'm sure she was there for a while. Uh, she wasn't. She was home taking it for quite a while. I just wanted to get that in. <laughs> Government's rudderless. Um, M. Night Shyamalan. M. Night Shyamalan gets cited quite a lot. Oh, mm-hmm. that was the exa- One of the examples I found was M. Night Shyamalan, because for a while he was... Everywhere. Yeah, he was everywhere, and he was like, oh, he's going to be the next Spielberg. He's going to be the next... Um... What did happen to him? He made still, anything recently. Yeah, he's still be. going. He made the... Um, Sweet so Signs was his, like, I'm sure. No, it wasn't that, oh, was it? Um, he wasn't Signs. No, he was Signs, wasn't he? I'm not sure. I want to uh, say you I think so. I just kind of bad enough that movie if you want me to, but I don't know much about who made it or starred in it. No, the first one, the one that made him famous was the. Um, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense was the one that made him famous. And then after that, he just kind of dropped off and made only terrible films. I think he made The Village. Was The Village oh, him? The Village I watched, yeah, that was bad. Um, that looked really bad. It's been the name of a new wave music group, Flash and the Pan. And Earth. the pan. Flash and the pan. Yeah. Flash in the pan and the pan. No, just flash <laughs> and the pan. Okay. From 1979 to 1993. Their top hit seems to be Waiting for a Train. It's bad. I listened to it. It was terrible. Pretty consistent. Uh, it peaked around the 1930s. It's not hugely popular, basically. In the in the UK, I think it's less popular than America. The Americans tend to use flash in the pan a bit more than we do. Hmm. And certainly, anecdotally, I've heard more Americans use it. Hmm. I think I nicked this one from the... Um, Accidental Tech podcast. It was a different podcast. So I went, ooh, idiom. I'm totally going to use that. 
So yeah, flash in the pan. Earliest one I could find was 1600s, and it seems to come from muskets. So well done, Sam. Yep. Very impressed. I assume you already knew that. (laughs) Sam, should we reverse order this week? What was your idiom? My idiom is wet your whistle, and it's the second one in a row that I've stolen from Neil at work, who is the guy that I told about the podcast. Wet your whistle means to sample something, to try it a little bit. What do you think it means? I think that's when I use it. So I agree with Adam. I think it's trying something new, but but just a little bit new, just like not not fully going for it, but just being a bit like, oh, I might I might wet my whistle. No, it doesn't mean that at all. I might wet my whistle. It's starting with something, isn't it? What did you say, Adam? <laughs> just agreed with him and then disagreed. <laughs> and then asked. I can't remember. Come up with an alternative, maybe. Come up with an alternative. Uh, I'm gonna. Stick- I, I I honestly don't know what it means. I just that's what my assumption is. That it's Wet just testing something, sampling something. Maybe yeah. maybe food, maybe just anything in general. Just wet your whistle by doing something, anything whatsoever. Wait, is it like a starter, though? Are you wetting your whistle on, uh, like, a brioche bun starter? Ah, see, now, now you're asking why it's wet your whistle, but I've had no confirmation that my guess is correct yet. <laughs> okay, let's get some confirmation. Over to you, Sam, in the, in um, the studio. It's usually drinking-related, and it's not usually trying, as far as I can tell. I've never used it that. It's more like quenching. Like, oh, okay. Sort of like you're thirsty and now you're not thirsty. That's more than just like sip like that's Okay. to stop you being thirsty. So I think that's enough to... That's what quench means, right? Right. I, I must have just either completely misunderstood what it meant or misused it my entire life. Let's go for the latter. So wet your whistle is just quenching your thirst. Yep. And next question. How are you spelling wet in your head here? W-H-E-T. H-E-T. Yeah. Like, come on. I'm obviously not very good at spelling... <laughs> I'm spelling it the only way I know how, W-E-T. This is definitely a leading question. <laughs> no, because... It's probably got alternate spellings, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, I ask because there is the other saying related, wet your appetite, mm-hmm. which is W-H-E-T, to wet your appetite. Oh, right. So is yeah. wet your whistle not W-H-E-T? No, it's not. It's, it's And, interestingly enough, wet your appetite is the opposite saying. It's sort of like yeah, to make yourself more hungry almost, isn't it? Like to wet your appetite is to have like a little bit of something. And then become more hungry as a consequence of that. Wet being sharpen. I don't think I've ever used that either. Maybe not. No. To wet your appetite. I've I've heard it, maybe, but I don't think I've actively used it. It doesn't sound so unusual that I can mock you for it, but I definitely can't pin down when I have heard it. Maybe me. Where I've wet your whistle, I've definitely heard. And I do think I've heard it with booze, like generally booze. I was thinking booze. I don't know why, but I was thinking thinking beer specifically. When, when it came up, and I don't know why I was thinking beer specifically. But if it's wet, W-E-T, yep. then my boring answer is a wh- whistle is just slang for your lips. And it's as simple as wetting your whistle is just like, ooh, I whistle with my lips, and I'm wetting my lips, therefore I'm wetting my whistler. Maybe, right. the, old, maybe the old phrase is like, wet your whistler. Wet your... And it's just, bad. Yeah, and it's just a bit more awkward to stay, say, so nobody bothered. Um... What your whistle. I'm excited about Adam's really boring answer. Yeah, that's just a no, boring that's... answer. Surely that's the obvious answer. Surely the obvious answer is just people whistle with their lips and wetting your whistle is just like, oh, maybe it comes from whistling for a bartender to get their attention. You should never do that regardless. You of shouldn't do you that. It's, inc- it's incredibly <laughs> rude, but I've seen people do it. Ugh. Might come from the annual whistle blowing competitions. Gone. Yeah. Whereby to make it after each you, you you have to blow increasingly difficult to blow whistles <laughs> and then at the end of the round you have to eat a handful of sand 
and then go the, for it to make the next round harder just to separate the chaff from the the whistleblowing champions got to shovel in 20 cream crackers yeah and go for it and then go then chug a small glass of cinnamon and then go for it and yeah that's that's the penultimate round is whistle slang for a reed in a wind instrument and wetting mm. your whistle is the act of dampening the reeds so that you can actually play whatever wind instrument you may. I've never played it. I've never played a flute or a recorder or anything like that. But Recorder's tough. I'd, I'd imagine they don't. They're very no. simplistic. But yeah, maybe whistle is slang for the reed in a wind instrument. Uh, and wetting your whistle is the act of... I don't know. I don't know how these you still think it's your first things. answer. I still think it's my first yeah. answer. I'm just trying to come up with something that sounds... Maybe it's nautical and it comes from the ship master having to go and test different whistles for different situations. Just like, oh, what was that whistle? I, I need... think it was a C. That means... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he'd have to, like, wet his whistle. Or maybe it was the first time a master blew his whistle. Everyone was like, oh, he's wet his whistle. Lads, 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 lads. I just wondered about that with... Um... Was semaphore? Yeah. Like semaphore always seemed really awkward and yeah, very, very limited in what you can actually do with semaphore flags. Also, I mean, you can do anything. You've got the full alphabet, right? My favourite fact about semaphore is the fact that um, the Beatles album, Help, the semaphore on the front of that album cover where they're all doing semaphore, doesn't spell out help. It's just random letters because huh. they thought it looked a bit better than what help actually spells out, <sighs> which is a bit naff. I would have thought help would be a word that you want to be able to spell quickly in semaphore. Oh, I imagine Probably. it's one you can well, spell maybe. very quickly in one symbol. SOS is what they usually go for. Because right? I imagine there's just one for like help, Danger. right? Like if it's a it's a naval thing, there's usually a <laughs> yeah, very short it's just like, violently shaking yeah. your hands back uh, or something. International uh, panic symbol. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. International panic symbol. Oh, is it international symbol of distress, something like that? Not just screaming. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like the emergency position that they tell you to take on the airplanes isn't the one you actually take. Brace. Which is just praying to whatever deity you believe to be <laughs> the one that exists. Oh, Dude, that I love whole... the, the conspiracy theory. Yeah. The um, there's a you heard about this? Nope. There's a conspiracy theory where the um, the that position is either one says protect your teeth so that they can identify you through dental records, or one says smash your teeth so they can't identify you through <laughs> dental records. Yeah. And it's the most pointless conspiracy theory because there's no reason for it whatsoever, other than just you wouldn't be able to survive on a desert island if you crashed. No, there is more. Sort of all right. Um, argument to it. Some say it's the brace where you lay your heads down is so that you're more likely to break your neck on impact because yeah. the payout in a life insurance or that an airplane would have to do is, and so goes the theory. Um, high, you know, they'd rather pay out one biggish lump sum for a death rather than ongoing sort of like oh, debilitating. The... It's essentially Fight Club. So, got any origins or a proper origin for yeah. it? Yeah. So. It's the boring one, sadly. It does just seem uh, to be that the whistle is sort of flowery novelty language for mouth, <laughs> like throat, mouth, something like that. So flowery. wetting it is just that. But, you know, there's sort of, whether it's like because you actually use it to whistle or it's just a weird term for it, not covered. What Do you want to guess a year, roughly? A year? whistle? 1933. 1933. 1870. All right, you're all massively out. It was in the Canterbury Tales. Oh. Is the earliest one. All right. Chaucer's. Chaucer. Chaucer. Canterbury Tales. Any any idea? No. Do, do, do. 14th century, end of the 14th century. Wow. 1387 to 1400 because it was a serial kind of thing, wasn't it? It was written over a long yeah, time. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, so there's, that's where it comes from. But people, again, think it was probably 
maybe in use already, but maybe he was just using some language for it. Flowery language to describe Yeah, something. like I said. But then there's loads of people that reckon it comes from this idea that mugs or steins used to have a whistle on them oh. to like summon attention in pubs and stuff once you finish your drink. I've seen those, a stein with where it's yep. in the handle and you and you blow into it. Yeah. I've definitely seen those. But oh. and then interestingly again, people that never seems to have existed. Like that is just those things have been made as novelty <laughs> items <laughs> been made to, back, the... to backport oh. to fit this <laughs> idea that they existed because of this saying. That's awful. And as someone pointed out, like anywhere where you could get someone to your table was likely to be quite fancy mm. and definitely not the kind of place where you'd use a, a cheap <laughs> whistle on a mug to get someone's attention. Oh. Everywhere else you'd had to go to the bar to get your drinks. Like you still do. Nice. Good saying. So, yeah. And then I pulled up the engram for it and it was really weird. Look, and I thought I'll show you and you can have it in the notes. I will but link to the notes. Look, as look we... at the graph. Oh, you've got like a weird... Yeah. Sort of spike, yeah, rectangular like thing, a flattened out spike, and I have some theories about it. I'll I think show it's really well. spiky. Yep. So, so around seventeen hundreds, it comes out of nowhere. Like it's is really high for like five years, seventeen forty like, to seventeen forty five. I think I figured it out as. Then it drops off until like early nineteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds, and then starts a usual kind of engram sort of fluctuating around. Yeah, spiky. And I looked into it. And I think it's because one of the more popular versions of the Canterbury Tales was published in 1740, around that time. Oh. And I reckon it must be one of the older books that Amazon, that Google have punched into Engram. And therefore, because there's not many from that time, it represents quite a large percentage of being featured in the books from around that time, because I reckon right. there's only a few. So it could and literally just be Google's metrics skewing, yeah. skewing that a little bit. Because usually cool. nothing starts until 1800s, but I'd, for a laugh, I just pushed it back an extra 300 years. <laughs> and then, yeah, it's just like, oh, what? it's probably just one intro because they've only got a thousand books in there or something. It accounts yeah. for 0.1 of a percent. I do wonder about that, if the um, if it skews the results due to the fact that over the last 50 years, we've had an explosion in literature. Mm. And basically since the printing press, everything's just exploded, but more so again now. But I if do the wonder scale if... does work like that, then it really drags every because if it is just percentage mentions across books around that time, that's a very different metric than yeah, it calls well. it into question, doesn't it? Mm. A little bit, yeah, that's cool. So, Canterbury Tales, yep, that's really Seems old, actually. That's yeah, one of the older ones we've had. Very S- solid origin as well. Generally, you're like, oh, so by the way, guys, yep, I lied, no origin, my bad. Ben, remind us what your idiom was don't poke the bear, Adam. Yeah. Why, why would I not poke the bear? That sounds fun. Why would you not poke the bear, Sam? I think it might attack me. It I think might that's the meaning of the attack origin. you. Yeah. So, what do you think it means, Adam? When would you use "don't poke the bear"? When someone you know or you're working with is in a bit of a mood, everything's work related, and you can see they're quite stressed, <laughs> and you don't want to. You want you you can't sort of like suggest to someone that they don't come over and ask a really inane question because it'll just poke the bear, and there'll be some sort of explosion from the direction of the person who they're poking. Don't poke the bear is a way of trying to avert someone from causing a bit of a scene by infuriating or causing a problem. Usually with a person. I'm going to say it's a person. The bear in this case is a person. And poking them would create some sort of social explosion. Yeah, so it's generally, it's nearly always used to describe people. And you're right, it's generally the idea is that somebody's already a bit unhappy or, um, you know, likely to boil over. Yeah. Um, and you poking them is 
not going to be a flash in the pan. It's going to be an extended argument. Where so, do you reckon it came from? I reckon it comes from uh, the same place that a leopard can't change its spots comes from. If you remember, it was a group of school kids walking through the Natural History Museum in London when they were discussing this. And I think the bear, in this particular case, is a stuffed bear. But it's a stuffed bear around the period where everyone was just insensitive. And it's got a um, fedora, no, a fez on. And it's in a, not a fedora, it's very very hip bear. Um, It's got a fez on and it's got a tutu on and it's basically on a ball and it's just, it's, it's, it's stuffed. So it's made to look like it's in a Russian circus. But it, because it's on a ball, it's very imbalanced. So the teacher shouted at one of the kids when it went to poke the bear, don't poke the bear, because he knew that it would fall over, cause a mess, they'd be kicked out of the museum. And the museum head, who I'm sure has got an official name, but I can't think like of head curator, curator, head curator, would be very annoyed at the school group. And don't poke the bear comes from the Natural History Museum. Coincidentally, at the same time that a leopard can't change its spots was being discussed in the next room. Um, what year was this? 1993. Interestingly, that did show up on my list of bear attacks. <laughs> okay. Memorable bear attacks throughout time. 93. Sorry. Bear crushes child. Because they pushed it over. In 94. The, back yeah. to just mortlings. So yeah, that's my idea. Nice. British musician. Musician? British Museum stuffed bear. I like it. Mm. <laughs> um, I think it's going to have come from... I think Don't Puck the Bear is going to be an American bastardization of one that used to be about another animal from someone somewhere that actually has a culture. So it'll be like an older one. Really down on the Americans yeah. again. I think it might be about dragons originally. I'm wondering if Let Sleeping Dogs Lie is a similar older version. Ooh, yeah, that could be interesting. And they just chose bears because they've got... They have bears. We don't bears. have bears. Where would, we have, where, where would we be scared of bears? Do we have, have we ever had bears? I don't think we've ever had bears, so. have we? No. I reckon we could ship some polar bears down, but they just yeah. probably, wouldn't, probably wouldn't be very happy. We've got badgers. Badgers are pretty vicious. Yeah, they are. Badgers are like tiny, tiny bears. <clears throat> tiny bears are just balls of rage. Uh, yeah, nice. I think that's... Uh, I've got nothing concrete, but I reckon it's going to have come from... It's an American image. Is America one of the only cultures that doesn't have a native dragon myth? All cultures have dragon myth now, and America, because it's so new, doesn't. You mean, but there must be a native Native American Surely, yeah, surely there's myth. a Native American dragon myth. Native Americans went in for more like lizard, not lizard, like um, thunder oh, cultures yeah, like, and stuff like that. They were thunder, like, thunderbirds yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, They went in for the thunderbirds. They're, yeah. all, they're all puppet worshippers. Oh, go. Which I only know from Neil Gaiman's literature. Yeah. I made a really obscure reference. Um, I was watching a video the other day and they did the like, um, do, 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 do. From um, was it Terence? That kind of, I think kind of reference he'd make. I think it's Captain Scarlet. Yes. It was just a really offhand reference. It came out of nowhere. It wasn't even mentioned. It was just the 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 scene cut they do where they like flash the scenes up. It was very strange. So whenever I think about, whenever you see a light like a little circle on the wall or something, it makes me think of the Mistrons when they used to be like, "We know you can hear us, Captain Scarlet. <laughs> we will destroy you." And Captain Scarlet's like, don't you get it? I'm literally indestructible. You should have listened to the theme tune. It says Captain Scarlet. He's indestructible. So unlike Sam, I like to bring three suggestions to the table. Nice. I've never done that. and I'm not going to start. So uh, did it come from the Cold War between which two countries? Uh, Russia and the US. Yep. Why not? Cool. Where Russia... <laughs> they actually wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, sweet. Where the idea was that Russia would be like, ah, oh, America, 
Like, well, I should do a better Russian accent. Can anyone do a good Russian accent? Yeah, but not one I'm willing to do on a podcast. Oh, uh, okay, fair enough. Well, Russia would be like, oh, don't poke the bear, Australia. Don't poke the bear, Australia. <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't they be referred to as the bear? Yeah. So oh, like, the idea is... Oh, they refer to themselves as the bear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When like, they were in Australia. Don't, don't well, poke the bear. I mean, it, ties, it sort of ties into mine, given that Russia was the... I was going for the Russian bear. And I suppose Russia has bears, America has bears. It kind mm. of... Kind of plays into it a little bit, I suppose. Russia is quite often represented as a bear in propaganda. Was it first written in the British Colonial Handbook, written by W.H. Mercer, uh, CMG, and A.J. Harding, um, after too many colo- colonialists got mauled by bears and killed? They were like, oh, we need to stop, put a stop to this. We <laughs> need to stop poking all these bears. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the Scout's Guidebook. Don't poke bears. Basically, rule two of living in... This New England, don't poke bears. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing about a bear that'd make me want to poke it. Like they're pretty terrifying looking things, aren't they? They're they're kind of, well, I don't know. They look pretty cuddly. They don't know. Or did it come from an ancient ritual from early bear worshippers, circa two thousand to seventy-five thousand years ago? Okay, where the chosen one was allowed the honour of poking the bear. <laughs> Today, Richard, you are the bear poker. I don't, want to be, I don't want to be the bear poker. It is a great, great honour, Richard, to be a bear poker. I don't want to poke the bear. It's going to eat me. Richard, enter the pit with you. Well, they were also trapped in a pit at the same time. <laughs> I don't see how else you could worship a bear without it eating you. Apparently the people did used to worship bears, but like bear caves, I think. So your three options were Russia and the Cold War. Yes. The handbook and the, handbook. the ritual bear pokers of 17,550 BC or something. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go 75,000 years ago. I think it was the ritual bear pokers from 75,000 years ago and Richard, the sacrificial bear poker. Richard. I don't want to do it. Tough luck, Richard. You lost the bear poking pole. Which one do you think it is, Sam? Um, two. I think they had an endemic bear poking problem. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, unsurprisingly, I struggled to get any, uh, any hard. Uh, hard uh, <laughs> I did a Sam. So I looked at, I looked at obviously, if there were any hard origins of it. There wasn't, there wasn't very much on it. Um, and obviously it can be used figuratively. So I couldn't find a hard origin as far as that goes. Although, interestingly, on the engram, it's, it was most common in 19 to 1910, where there was like a column thing that Sam noticed. Hmm. Yeah, don't know why. I reckon that is an error, to be honest. Um, and then you can guess kind of when it, when it spiked first was during, was just after, when did the Cold War run from? When was the Cold War, realistically? It was, it was around the same time as the space race, and it pretty much ended with the Bay of Pigs, right? Wasn't it 70s, 80s? So, so yeah, so kind of it, it spiked around 1970, kind of quite leisurely went up from about 1950 to, to spike at 1970 and came back down again. And it's just about reached the same spike now, which I thought was quite interesting with yeah. what's going on with Russia then mm. and now. And how if you, if you Google search, don't poke the bear propaganda, it is just loads of stuff about Russia. Like it's commonly used as a, to represent Russia, a big kind mm. of lumbering angry bear. With the links to hibernating as well coming out quite a lot. Um, interestingly, uh, when you say someone is being a bear, what, what are you trying to say? Like, what, um, um, it's gay slang. I don't know that much. But, yeah, um, you get you get bears in gay slang, which is something that I discovered. 
Yep. In the book that we're reading for book club at the moment. Do you reckon? I don't know. Maybe like big and beardy and jolly, maybe. Jolly. I had it down as meaning quite grisly. So like, if you call it, start being bearish, like start being a bit grisly and grumpy. Oh, right. Okay. But it is a it is a compliment over in us over in Russia. All right. Huh. Being a just being tough and being a bear, which I guess links to their kind of yeah macho man. Thingamajig. This is Russia where the dominant religion has you jump into an ice bath and basically <laughs> wash yourself. I'm not surprised. Uh, and then wrestler bear. Wrestler bear. Yeah. I'd see Vladimir Putin wrestling a bear. There is that image of him. There is that photoshopped image of him riding a bear. Yep. Which is quite a good and image. And there's that unphotoshopped one of him like wrestling a lion. Yeah. <laughs> unphotoshopped one. Yeah. Vladimir Putin's scary. He's a very scary individual. I don't think I'd fight him. Uh, and then it's also a kids book which looks like a great book look at that don't poke the bear that does look pretty good I don't know what that's about that does look pretty good yeah that, do you know who that was released by WH Mercer good memory what does CMG stand for when they have that after their name I don't know is it American or is it British CMG. they are I did take it from a book of colonialism from I think the 1800s is where I got those two names from do you know this and are you asking or are you just not sure I'm just not sure okay uh, CMG. CMG I don't know what CMG is so there you go don't poke nice. the bear nice I like cool. it Good. Yeah, there's just no real hard origin, but it suspects that... It's just one of those common sort of, that's actually good advice. So. I think I think it came from America during the Cold War, um, kind of spiked up by Russia being called a bear and also it being sound advice. It's kind of hard to stick on an engram. That's the sort of one that's, that's hard to stick on an engram because Don't Poke the Bear could appear in fiction. It could yeah. appear in non-fiction. It could appear mm-hmm. in any form of literature. It's, as you say, it's just... Fairly sound advice. Don't poke a wild animal. I think I'm still right. Mauled. Sleeping dogs lie. All that stuff. I think it came from another. That's an interesting one. That mm. yeah. I wonder if it could just we be an evolution of that. Telling people that <laughs> this could be the one that we actually get an origin on Stack Overflow for. What would your modern equivalent be of Don't Break the Bear? I think everyone think of a new animal. Yeah, <laughs> it's just straight away you just go dragons. No, um, there was a there is a riff on it in Harry Potter, isn't there? Um, oh, that came from my like Don't poke a sleeping dragon in the eye or something like. One of the characters. Don't the main disturb characters, the dragon. It? Isn't it yeah. the... That's the saying of one of the houses. Is it? I think so, yeah. Nice. Which house would you be in? Me? Mm. Sadly, I think I'd be in the Jigglypuff house. Jigglypuff house. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know the terrible house? Oh, thanks, Sam. You mean, no, like, no, no, no. I'm yeah, like, yeah, of course that. we would. Like Everyone's like, oh, there's been Gryffindor. I think I'd be in the rubbish house. I love the, the theory I read that... Um, Hufflepuff is just the stoner house and basically yeah. if, you, if you read the books with the idea that Hufflepuff is just full of stoners it's a much more entertaining it's just read. so unpopulated <laughs> like that she just doesn't write about it yeah like, it's, no wonder it's, it's essentially the same word that Ben came up with when he had to think very quickly on his feet for his wife's name as like a masking thing Hufflepuff like done like it's a badger as well it's just the greatest of animals is it a badger that's the emblem Oh, in my head, it's a Jigglypuff. It's <laughs> just <laughs> massive IP infringement. I'm, I'm sure there's some fan fiction somewhere. Um, uh, secret fifth house. Jigglypuff. <laughs> I, I, like, I like how um, Slytherin has sort of become a slur for play. I heard um, Ken, Kensington, and just in a sort of jokey way, I heard um, Kensington and Chelsea being referred to as the Slytherin of the London boroughs, which I thought was quite, quite a good one. Nice. Just, I don't know, it's mainly amusing. But yeah, um, I don't know what I'd be in. She did really do Slytherin in, didn't she? Like, it wasn't like, it wasn't, I think she tried to save it a bit at the end. It's like, oh, Slytherin has like, you know, the people like, maybe they're a bit cold, but they do things that need to be done and all this. Yeah. But in the start, it was just like, they're all just absolute <laughs> Like, they're all <laughs> evil one to them all. Like, it's just... <laughs> she was so heavy-handed at the start. It's, it's really... Um, Look at that slimy <laughs> <laughs> 
is it the first is it the first book where they um it's the first book i think where gryffindor's like at the bottom of the table as well and in the last in the last scene dumbledore's just like yep 100 points to you 100 points to you 100 points to you and it's like all your other houses don't care yeah. like harry ron hermione you have saved yeah. gryffindor Woo! save gryffindor your own reward is an arbitrary trophy that changes every year oh i love those books they're so terrible Thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to leave a review in iTunes, subscribe to us on YouTube and on the Overcast app. Feel free to hit the star to get people talking about us behind our backs. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MFOR Podcast. Feel free to email us, cast at zy.io. Relevant links from this episode are in the show notes and our individual social media accounts are available at the bottom. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Money for Old Rope, a podcast ostensibly about idioms. You've never, you didn't get through book four. Have you never finished the series? It's no. worth reading. Like I, I do rail against it for being not very good literature, but it's worth reading because it inspired a generation of people to to read and write. Yeah. And then people got really into it, didn't they? Like <laughs> just really deep into yeah, it. Yeah, like people. I don't know. I don't know why. So it's, can... it's kind of nuts when you walk through London past the. I think the um. Uh, what's the play called? The one that she wrote recently uh, um, forgotten child or something darkness child. something like that half, child half forgotten dark child that's still playing at one of the theaters um prince of wales maybe but it's still playing there despite so, so many people you called? just get you just get loads of crowds of people around just dressed up like they're in the houses and all sorts it's just mental in most York. of them american as well a lot of americans yeah oh, yanks love it yeah is yanks yeah. offensive i always wonder this you have said that you have asked this before so i don't think times. it's offensive i use yanks day-to-day conversation with just, I think just... it's like when people think they've been offensive by saying limeys, but we, it just doesn't affect any of us whatsoever in the slightest because it's mm. just like you what? We can start calling Yanks Hufflepuff fodder. Yeah, there you go. It's like an abusive. I'll saying. get him Hufflepuff fodder. Yeah, like sacrificing uh, you just be there to bulk out Hufflepuff. Wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great that insult, though. Doesn't need bulking out. That's such a great insult. Yeah, that's America for you're you. You're only good enough for to. Bulk out, bulk out, Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff oh. I bet there's no. I bet there's loads of bad things about that. On like, there'll be a page of just like, there'll be a BuzzFeed article of like top ten best Harry Potter insult. I'm surprised you didn't get through four though. Four's the most entertaining. Oh, that's the one after the writing blo- writer's block that we definitely showed. Was it? I was at five. No, five was the really bad one. <laughs> five was the writer's block. Where it's just like oh, I'm just going to write about house elves, and Why then I'll attempt to shoe on it back in at the end. Like the Liberation Front or something. Spew. That's it. Spew. Good name, though. Is that the one where Harry gets really kind of... Ripped. Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty uncomfortable. What? No. Like all the gym <laughs> sessions. <laughs> I was <looking> <laughs> Just like Hench. Oh, he's never read past four. He could absolutely... <laughs> Imagine all, he's watched the films. We've all seen the movies. Have yeah. you seen the films? Uh, okay. yeah. yeah. Seven life. changes a lot, actually. I think I vaguely remember... I haven't seen the last film. It's not worth it. Okay. Decided. I'll carry on not watching Said by Sam, who at Sam, Adam. Damn it, why couldn't you guys have the same name and make my life easier? Said by Adam, who is the most film literate person I know.
we should get to 50 before Sam dies. I'm not going to die. Um, well, I might die, but I mean, I've got nine in me. This is nine. It's a big countdown. We can definitely squeeze another. We announce it at the start of every episode. No, because I'm, people might miss one and then the countdown won't make sense. <laughs> so this is countdown five. Let's count up five one. Four. <laughs> <laughs> Counting up works. All right. Adam's going to have to do a phenomenal amount of initial cutting of all of our rubbish and oh, talk. It really is. Um, Sorry, especially if he's going to intersperse me into other episodes. Oh. I just have like, <laughs> just like, Little like tidbits that you could like throw in, or like me just going like ha 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 things occasionally. No, no, Sam, that's not what that idiom means. No, it's not that idiom this week either. Sam, what are you afraid of? Web spiders. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Sam. No, back to your. Or I could just start getting more and more robotic from now, and then in ten episodes' time, you could just fully replace me with Microsoft Sam.